said. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here. I love you. And I uh, just want to continue on uh, in our series on the Holy Spirit. Have you all been blessed by it? Have you been enjoying it as we've been tearing it apart and looking at it? Tearing it apart's a little rough, but we've been flipping through the pages of the book of Acts and then the Gospels and, and the New Testament of what Paul is, has spoken and written and just getting a, a heart for his presence and spirit. Um, if you weren't here Wednesday, it was awesome. We had uh, the president of Master's Provision. We went there and we've served, and he came and shared a lot of his testimony on what it means to be fearless, where God is, has used Master's Provision and uh, where he left his job, a comfortable job at Cincinnati Bell, and trusted God to step out and, and to start uh, to reach um, orphans and, and children through clothing and through food, and, and they've been a blessing to areas all all in our area and, and internationally as well. So he encouraged us of how to be fearless and to trust God. Um, and we're excited to continue to partner with him and to go and serve. Um, I saw on Facebook, Mike and Angie, you guys went to Isaiah House Saturday. That's a, they help fuel that ministry. And uh, so it's, it's amazing what they do. Uh, so I pray that you were encouraged through that. If not, you can listen to the podcast and get encouraged there. Um, also, Janice, it's great to see you. You're back from visiting family. You're healed up. We're happy you're here as well. And uh, believing that God has brought you back here today for a purpose. And we're excited and, and thankful that you're healed up. Also, uh, Lauren and Taylor, you guys wave your hands at us. They just got married. We're excited about them. She's my um, beautiful cousin and, and Taylor there. So they had a beautiful wedding, a beautiful day. And just wanted to celebrate with you guys as well. And excited for the journey that's ahead for you. So that's, that's a good section right back there today. Something's going to happen back there. That's awesome. So this morning, what I want to talk to you about and encourage you is overcoming obstacles, specifically overcoming obstacles to healing. Now, not just a physical healing, but overcoming the obstacles for interior healing. Because how many of you know it's important at our hearts as we've been praying, our soul, our mind, that the healing flow of God. Every day we wake up, we invite that so that when we go to work, when we are in a family lunch or a family dinner or, or uh, in church, that we don't allow offense and we don't allow bitterness and unforgiveness and, and the things that can cause a blockage of his flow and of his presence in our life. How many of you just show a hand? You're thankful that he comes and he heals our lives and you receive that this morning. And so I wrote this down, removing the very obstacle to healing itself is a profound work of healing. Because the enemy knows if he can keep blockades, if he can keep obstacles, if, if he can keep you offended and hurt and out, and out and isolated, the things that the enemy does, the accuser of the brethren, then he can keep the work of the Holy Spirit from operating in your life. Now next week, I want to look at the charism or the charismatic gift of healing that is given to believers. As Paul said, if we earnestly seek it or strive for it or ask for it, we can be given these gifts. And so we're going to unpack those. But before we, we look at that and the way the church understands the gifts is we need to be healed ourselves in order to receive them. Good place to say amen. amen. And so this morning, an intercessory prayer, a, a beautiful flow of his presence touched and moved and healed um, on Wednesday, when we first watched the documentary, Fearless, his presence touched and healed. And Sunday, 
his presence moved and touched and healed our lives. So I just want to take it a step deeper. And I believe at any point in this service, if the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, a, a past memory, uh, a relationship in your past, I'm going to share of a relationship where when I was 17 here in a little bit, if the Holy Spirit had not intervened, it could have sent me on a trajectory that now looking back, you know when you look back on maybe a relationship and it happened, you're like, thank you God, it went that way and that you intervened there. But I pray that that, that, that story will encourage you. But in looking and healing on our interior life, we have to understand that we live in a fallen world, that there is original sin when we're born into the world, when you uh, enter into the world out of your mother's womb, at some point in your life, you have to make a decision that I'm going to accept Christ as my healer, as my savior, as my Lord, that I'm going to be redeemed from our first parents, Adam and Eve, because of the fall, that all of sin entered into the world and suffering and affliction natural disasters. Everything we see came from that point. So we have to understand that there is suffering and there's evil in the world. It's the whole question, why do bad things happen to good people, right? Because we live in a broken and fallen world. You heard in the documentary that we as the church, every time we go out into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, that we're walking among the wounded. There's wounded people all around. Us in here, we're wounded, but we've come to the hospital in order to receive healing this morning. The church, by its nature, is a hospital. The church, by its nature, is evangelical, where we don't keep what we have here in the four walls, but we take, empowered by the charismatic power of the Holy Spirit, and we can go and do the work that Jesus did. Even better, we can go and do greater, as Jesus says, because you and you, all of us, have the Holy Spirit within us to go and bring healing, to bring the healer to a broken world. And so I want to look at a powerful passage of Scripture, and this comes from Mark chapter 2, and you're probably familiar with this gospel, but it's Jesus, and he heals the, par the paralyzed man. And it's, as any gospel or as any parable, it's always deeper than what just meets the eye. Scripture, you always got to read in between the lines, right, to really pull out what Jesus is wanting to tell us. So I want to go through it quickly, and I want to pull some, some thoughts or some commentary out of it, but it says in Mark Chapter 2, verse 2, it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. I got to stop and pause there. You guys are awesome because we were just joking that I never give the media, time, the media guys enough time to jump on the scripture, but you guys got it, so you're working good. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was... We'll, we'll judge that from time to time, but we'll see where Jesus confronts that blanket statement and says, hey, that, that's not the case all the time. And so he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. We don't know what the sins are of the man and what he's dealing with. But I can tell you, as Jesus looked down at a man so full of faith, he was just lowered down from the roof to right where Jesus was. Everyone in the congregation was in awe and in shock. Is it, what's happening right now? And when Jesus looks down, I can tell you the man, whatever that sin in his life was, tears began to, to roll down his face. The shame or the guilt that may have been there, Jesus talks directly to it and says, you're forgiven. I can tell you there was such an inner freedom that welled up within the man, everything was about to change. And that's with you and I. Jesus says this morning, hey, your past is no longer your past, your sins are are forgiven. 
hey, when you came to me in repentance and you were struggling with this attachment to sin in your life, when you came to me, I said, your sins are forgiven, so move past it. And so what we see, Jesus speaks directly into this man's life and says, your sins are forgiven. And then we see the miracle take place where then the physical, the exterior healing happened in the man's life. So sin was not the cause. Sin did not cause him to be paralyzed. But what sin does for you and I and what it did for the man, it can block the healing flow of God in your life. That's why we have to address it and we have to attack it and we have to bring it to Christ because we can address it and attack it in our own power and our own strength. But if we never bring it to Jesus, the one who can truly forgive sin, then that's where healing and power can flow forth. Amen. And so I want to encourage you with some scripture this morning as we dive in on finding interior healing in our lives. That if there's areas and places in your life where you struggle with shame, you struggle with guilt, you struggle when you think or you look to your past or the devil whispers, you're not truly forgiven, you're not truly set free. When he brings up the things of your past that you may have felt where you've fallen short or when you think, God, I pray no one ever knows that I did that or God, I pray no one ever knows that that happened to me. That's the very thing you need to bring to God. And allow Christ to say to you personally, because he knows you, my child, your sins are forgiven. Look what scripture says in Hebrews 9, chapter 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, somebody say cleanse, your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The power of the cross and the blood of Jesus can cleanse your conscience. Psalms 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Revelation 12.10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. I'm here to tell you that the accuser of the brethren, brethren, the enemy, your accuser, is cast down. And when you hear him whispering, and prodding, and getting in your head, getting, bringing your past into your present, guess what? He's cast down, and you can take the authority and the power that's been given to you, and take the powerful name of Jesus, and take authority over that, and that has to leave, because you've been forgiven. Look at John chapter 9. We see a blind man, a blind man born of birth, a little context. There's a, a man that's born blind by birth. And so Jesus is passing by. He sees this man. Look what he says. He says, now Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciple asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, a lot of ancient law and Jewish custom was that if someone was born with an ailment or a disease like that, then there was a sin of a forefather that caused that. So that was what everyone thought. So Jesus answered, and here's where he confronts this mindset, because Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So this man from birth, this did not cause or this did not happen because of a sin of a forefather or a parent or grandparent, but that God had a plan and a purpose so that the works and the wonders of God could be revealed. That's pretty awesome. And as we're even reading this story, thousands of years later, 
this man's story or this man's blindness is going to touch us and affect us and, and increase our faith. Pretty awesome. And so what we see here is Jesus confronts this. He changes their focus from the cause to the purpose. Why did it happen? Why was he blind? Well, Jesus says, and this is for all of us in our unforgiveness or in our sickness or in our disease or we have physical pain, changing our mindset from the cause of why it happened to what's the purpose that God is going to do through it. What's the purpose of it? And when we start thinking, what's the purpose? And again, as we've been talking, is Jacob, not Joshua, I said Joshua last time. Jacob, when he wrestled with the Holy Spirit, look at how his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. That there was, if you know Jacob, he was a deceiver. He lied. There was all this uh, sin and things in his life. And it took a wrestling with the Holy Spirit to set him free and to change his name. The same is with you and I. Sometimes it takes a place of wrestling with the Holy Spirit and get down to the nitty gritty, confronting it, addressing it. So he's, he's changing their focus from the cause to the purpose because he's about to do something wonderful through this man's blindness. Now he's about to heal him. And so, again, we have to look and ask the question through what we're going through in any season of what's the cause or what's the purpose of this. You know, I was, I was looking, and, I, and this came to me. The reason God healed him and how he set him free, and in a minute I'm gonna, I want to address some generational spirits and some generational cycles that it's good for all of us to be aware of because that's a way that the enemy can get foothold into your life because of a generational thing that happened in your parents' life. It can be cycled down into your life. And so the bottom line is when it comes to healing, is that God does not heal us because we deserve it, but simply because he loves us. You need to get that in your spirit. God does not heal us because we deserve it. He doesn't forgive us because we deserve it, because we don't deserve it. He heals us and forgives us because he loves us. He loves you. I even love what Psalms 41.4 says, and this is David's heart. He says, oh Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me. Heal me for I have sinned against you. You know what's important in life is that you have, yes, a sin conscience. I'm conscious of sin in my life and I'm gonna do whatever I can to stay out of sin. But it's even more important to have a grace conscience. That I'm conscious of the grace of God in my life. And I'm conscious that grace, when it touches me, doesn't just say, oh baby, you're all good, you're okay. Permissive, it's known as permissive grace. But the grace that God gives us is empowering grace where you can be set free, your life can be changed, you can be delivered, that addiction to pornography can leave your life, that addiction to unhealthy relationships can leave your life. You don't have to dabble in things anymore. You can be set free. That is what the grace of God can do when we say, Father, there's sin in my life, I invite the grace and the power of God to touch and to heal. My prayer has always been as it is in John 30, 30, I wrote this down this morning, is that he may increase and that I may decrease. I may decrease so that he may increase. Isn't that, is that your prayer? Is that more of him and less of me? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When you step foot through those doors, and a, a lot of what my prayer is in the morning, God, allow me to be poor in spirit. Allow me 
to be humble. Allow me to accept the work of what you're wanting to do, not what I think is right, not what I'm going to do today. But Holy Spirit, I give you availability in my life so that your ability can come and can touch and heal and forgive. So it's being grace conscious, having a grace conscience in your life. And whatever you're going through, because what does the devil always do? He wants to isolate you, separate you, tell you you're unworthy, tell you your past is always going to be there just hanging on. And when that promotion or that opportunity comes or the right relationship, when God sends you the one you're supposed to be with, then all at the same time, your past is going to swallow you and it's all going to be over. I'm telling you, he's an accuser. And you need to put him in, in his place and allow the grace of God to touch it. You know, when you look at generational spirits, you see when the Ten Commandments are revealed in Exodus where it says that God is a jealous God. And uh, some truth is shared where, uh, look what it says. It says in uh, verse 5 that you shall not bow to them. He's talking about idols or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But here's the but. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now what you need to know about that is that all of that is confronted in Ezekiel 18. Look what it says here. It says, what you ask, does the child pay for the parent's sins? No, for the child does what is just and right and keeps my degrees. That child will surely live. The person who sins, the one who will die, the child will not be punished for the parent's sins. And the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior. So it's between you and God. And wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But if wicked people turn away from their sins, here's grace, and begin to obey my decrees and do what is just and right, then they will surely live and not die. And so we see that if my grandfather committed murder, went against the Ten Commandments, went against God's will, then that effect is not going to have control or authority over my life because of what we just read. But now here is what we do have to be aware of. If my grandfather or if my parents had an alcohol problem and mom and dad would drink together and they would get drunk together and all that would happen through that and because mom and dad drank and got drunk, which they don't, they're awesome. I'm just giving you an example here. And because one day dad got drunk and then, and then he decided, you know what, I'm pretty angry at life, I'm mad, my finances are blah, 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 you know, I'm going to go let my son hear it. And then that abuse, that can take place there. Think about it this way. Another cycle, an unhealthy cycle can that, that can happen is if there's those of you in here that experience sexual abuse or a verbal abuse or a physical abuse, if that was done to you as a child, then guess what? There's going to be aftermath or there's going to be things that are going to happen in your life because of that abuse that was done to you. And then when you become of age or of an adult and you start looking back and you start evaluating, wow, that happened to me or wow, that's the reason I act this way is because of this abuse that was done to me early on in my life. Then there comes a point where you bring it before God and you can say, I'm going to end the unhealthy cycle that was done to me. I'm going to invite the power of God into my life. And what was done, that abuse, that offense, that hurt, uh, whatever it may be, the cycle ends now in Jesus' name. 
And I, I challenge you, do studies on these things and go back three, four generations and look, what were, what were the, the sins or the things in my family so that I can be aware of it and I can address things in my life because there's the whole thing by nature that you can easily be prone to that you may not even know. But when you dis- discover the things in your family line, then you can get wisdom to how to address things. There's power in taking authority and ending unhealthy cycles in your life. And I want to encourage you with this because this is what happens when you take authority of unhealthy cycles in your life from your family line or for whoever it may be. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things. Somebody say all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And you can write this down. I put this down. God is always able to bring a far greater good out of suffering. Whatever your suffering is, through what we just read, God can always bring a greater good. Amen. Some of you sitting here this morning are living testimonies where you've experienced some sort of abuse or you've went through uh, um, emotional neglect from your parents. You know, that's a big one, emotional neglect. Where, yeah, dad works, but he was never there emotionally for me. The things that we deal with growing up in, in dysfunctional homes. The thing is, when you turn again of age, then you have to confront that dysfunction of how you were raised. Because if you don't, then it's just going to continue right on into your kids. And so right now, I actually want to pray about it. Just lift your hands right now if there's an unhealthy cycle in your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we break unhealthy cycles. We break things in the spirit that want to go from one generation to the next that are not of God. We break them and cancel them in the power and in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we pray healing over those areas. That even as you're sitting here, that you can experience healing through that. Secondly, so we have generational cycles that can cause uh, areas of wounding in our life that we need to accept the healer's touch in. Secondly is an inner wound. So I want to share with you a story of a time in my life when I was 17 when uh, I experienced healing, but I also experienced a lot of hurt. Because wherever there's hurt, there's always a healer, amen? So I can remember it was my senior year of high school, uh, and I was in a relationship. You know, when you get a little bit of senioritis and you start freaking out about your life? So I was in a relationship, and uh, just to give you the gist of the story, we, uh, prom season was rolling around, and I was excited about prom. Come on, it's your senior prom. You're excited. You're ready. You're going to pick out your tux. You're going to drop an ungodly amount of money on nothing and uh, regret it. But so we were preparing, and we were excited, and we'd probably been dating just a few months. And, uh, and I've shared all this with Bree, so all of you know. <laughs> You're good. But there was... I can remember as I was uh, getting excited about prom and, and this girl, she ran track and I ran track. So yeah, we got stuff in common and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I can remember one day after practice, she came up to me. This was two days before prom. We had made all these plans. We were excited. And uh, she said, you know, Garrett, it, it's, I don't think it's going to work. 
and I just kind of stand there. And if you knew me in high school, very quiet, very nice, and, and these kind of things. And so I'm like, okay, well, what's, you know, what's up? She's like, I don't know. I just, I'm not, you know, feeling it. She was kind of a cold personality. So I was just trying to, to relay what she was giving and just kind of, okay. And, and then, you know, when you go back to your guy friends, you're like, yeah, it was mutual, you know. <laughs> so definitely pulled that one. So we broke up, that ended, and after that, I can, re- I can just remember, because it was kind of the first time I experienced a breakup, that I was hurt, and, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, at that age, just kind of trying to figure out what life is all about and what's going on, and, and you know, you don't even know who you are, let, a no- let alone know anything about relationships. Somebody said amen. And... Uh, and so I can remember just going back and the enemy just started trying to bring depression into my life, trying to bring me down and into a place where it's like, you know, this is really throwing me. And I was surprised because of the effect that it was having on my life. And as a good mother, I'm blessed to have a good mother. And she noticed, you know, my attitude and my personality. I would go home and just go up in my room and sleep and all these kind of things. So, you know, you get the, the lovely knock on the door. And mom comes up, and she just starts to talk to me and shares wisdom and, and uh, just starts, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And this is what was neat, because this was a game changer in my life, is my mom felt at the time, she said, hey, I, I just got online, and there's this Acquire the Fire, which was a youth event that we did, that's happening in Tampa, Florida, and it's on your prom date. And so I'm like, okay, where are you going with this? She's like, what do you think if, you know, the um, Allegiant car rentals is having this deal where you can rent like a car for 10 bucks a day because I need to get cars to Florida from Kentucky. So what if we just jumped in a car? We spent two days together and we went down and, and we went to acquire the fire and just spent some time together. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And uh, so, I mean, I was shocked. And so we, we got in the car and, you know, I look back on my life now because we were able to have some awesome conversation in the car driving down. We talked about generational things. We talked about a lot of the things of the Holy Spirit because it's a time in your life when I was becoming of age and I started asking questions and trying to figure out more of who I was and about myself. And so we spent time. I can remember if you've ever been to Acquire the Fire, it's very much in your face and they hit things on relationships. So the words and all these things were coming forth would just penetrate that depression or penetrate that sense of, you know, I don't, I'm having a hard time trusting because what starts to happen and what you have to know is I'm thankful for, the, for how God dealt with me then. Now, all of us don't get an opportunity to go, to, to go do that and go to acquire the fire. But what we can do is we bring it before God and we say, God, heal my life or bring God so good just as he did with my mom to bring someone into my life to encourage me when I was down. And so the, the things that were being spoken to my life, and as, as you know, as after high school, I was juggling between did I want to go to University of Cincinnati or I wanted to go to Bible school. And so I knew that moment, and in that moment that that happened, my life could have went two of different ways. And again, this is with all of you, when there's crossroads in your life, if the enemy knows he can isolate you and get you down and depressed and stop listening to the voice of God, then he can throw your life off course. And so that was a defining moment. I can remember at the breakout because the Acquire the Fire, their Bible school, the Honor Academy they had, 
there was a breakout session and there was an intern who was there already serving and shared a word that was exactly what I needed to hear. And that just boosted my confidence. Okay, I am supposed to go and I am supposed to do this and I'm not going to let fear and doubt control my life. And so it was just one thing after another. And baby, when I got back after prom, all that stuff happened. And I got back, I was encouraged and strengthened. You know, I saw her on the hallway. Yeah, what's up? Whatever. You know, it was, <laughs> I wasn't depressed anymore, right? So I know that's just a story. And that's just kind of something that happened in my life. But with you, whenever you feel the enemy attacked or there's that inner wound, be open to trust God that he's going to bring healing to that area of your life. Because, you know, if there wasn't someone to give that word of knowledge to say what's going on, if there wasn't someone to pry in like a good mom does to figure out what's going on, then that healing could have never take place and I could have never went to Bible school and I could have never met Brianna. My life could be completely different. I might not even be standing in front of you here today. At the time, you don't think it's that serious. But I'm here to tell you, whatever you're going through now, don't underestimate taking it to God and finding healing because that offense or that inner wound of, of a relationship that broke you or hurt you, the enemy can use to throw your life off path and off calling. And you might have, you'll still get there, but you might have to go like this where God just wants to accelerate and get you there now. And so inner wounds, being aware of that. There was uh, an early church father by the name of St. John of the Cross. That's a fun one. He said something about the idea of, of prayer and what it looks like. Because the thing is, when we pray for healing, it, it does happen at that at times, but sometimes it doesn't, right? But he was talking about inner healing, and what he said is our union with Christ in prayer. So when we pray for healing and for God to touch us, we might not feel that release or that healing touch us right away. But he says when we pray, it's his taking a green log, and throwing it on the fire. For a long time, it may seem that nothing is happening, but inside the log, it's getting hotter and hotter and drier and drier. And the moment will come when it will suddenly burst into flame. And when I saw that, I'm like, man, it was an acquire the fire that changed my life at that time. The same is with this. You know, that's like Red Bull Christianity in your face where you can get changed right there in that atmosphere and in that moment. But for most of us, it's taking it one step. And, and as many offenses and wounds that have happened in my life, it's one step at a time. It's going to church when you don't feel like it. It's praying when it's tough. It's, it's talking with wisdom and counsel and, and those around you to get truth in your life so that you can be healed and you won't be walking. You won't be the walking dead. Come on. That was another title of the message. I thought, The Walking Dead. Might be kind of cool. Any Walking Dead fans out there, you get that. You know, another passage of Scripture is John 5, chapter 6. You know the man at the pool, and Jesus asked him, Bree preached on this months ago, but he asked, do you want to be healed? You know, a lot of the times with healing another uh, vantage point, and especially what we see in the man at the pool, is that he got so used to not being healed or so used in his ailment or his disease that it was almost like he didn't want to be healed. That's why Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And with a lot of us, we just get used in our dysfunction 
Or we get used to having that limp or that shoulder hurt or whatever it may be. That sometimes Jesus has to break up the routine or the mundane and say, Hey, do you want to be healed? Why have you stopped praying? Why have you stopped believing? Why has your faith went to where it's went? Do you want to be healed? And so we see Jesus confront that because the truth is, in our world today, if there's a disability or something, there's benefits for being disabled. Now, for those who need it, yes, that's why it's there for. But we know that there's those who abuse and misuse with anything. And so it's not being comfortable in your ailment or in your disease. But Jesus is asking, do you really want to be healed? Because if you want healing in your life, it takes faith. It takes trusting God. It takes getting out of your comfort zone. It takes praying and believing. And so keep that in the back of your mind too. Of Do you want to be healed? And I want to end with this. And it was beautiful because we talked about this in, in prayer. But it's unforgiveness. I think unforgiveness is one of the biggest blocking points of our lives to experience healing. You know, think about it. If you've gone through a, a divorce and someone did you wrong, that hurt and that bitterness and, and all that goes in, in that exchange that can take place in your life. Or if you go through, you know, even a season of where uh, a, a drunk driver smashed into the back of your car and your baby was rattled and, and lost his life, the unforgiveness that might go toward that person or that man. And so we see throughout the Bible, Jesus talks a lot about it because it's that important. And then this is, it's an everyday thing. He says, hey, it's not just good to forgive seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, unlimited forgiveness should be leaving your lips and flowing through your heart and flowing through your mind. Because here's the truth. Unforgiveness closes our hearts to God's grace. But on the flip side, choosing to forgive can re release grace in a powerful way. When you choose to forgive, you release grace. There's a biblical counseling guide that I refer to a lot. And uh, it's, it's really good. And there's uh, a section in uh, forgiveness. And I want to read this to you because a lot of us misunderstand forgiveness. We don't really know what it is. But here's what it is and here's what it isn't. Forgiveness does not mean that any wrongs done to you were acceptable. So you're not saying, oh, I forgive them and I accept what you did to me. No, it's not what you're saying. It does not diminish the evil done against you, nor is it a denial of what happened. It's a key part in letting those wrongs hurt you any longer. It's letting it go where it can't hurt you. It doesn't take away the consequences the other person will face because of her sin, his or her sin. It's letting go of your desire to hurt the other person. Simply put, forgiveness means you cancel the debt. I was talking to one person, and she was sharing that there was uh, a, a, a sin that was committed toward her, an abuse, and it just rattled and shook her for the majority of her life as a teenager. And how there was a pastor who said, now when you forgive, I want you to pull a check out and I want you to write over the check, canceled, and I want you to put their name on it. So that'll be a reminder that you've given it to God. It's a difficult and uncomfortable process. Everybody said amen. Forgiveness isn't, it's uncomfortable. 
When you make a decision to forgive, God provides the grace and the strength to forgive, to maintain a heart of forgiveness. We talked this morning, forgiveness is more than just an emotion. It's taking your faith and trusting God because your emotions will tell you you don't want to forgive. Your emotions also tell you to react when something is done wrong against you. But when you can keep your emotions at bay and allow your faith to catch up, then you can handle a situation right. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Those are two separate things. It takes two to reconcile, but only one to forgive. It doesn't, this is good, it does not require you to become a doormat, nor does it require you to allow the offender to hurt you again. So you're not a doormat for that person, but you forgive them, and you're going to put up boundaries, and you're going to do things where that person can't hurt you again. And so those are just a few things of what it is and what it isn't. But look what God says, or Jesus Christ says in, in the parable in the gospel of Mark eleven twenty five. 25. He, he, or excuse me, Matthew 18, 23 through 25. He gives this parable of what the kingdom of God is like and the importance that this is a matter of life and death if we don't allow the forgiveness of God to flow through our lives and allow the grace of God to be released. And so again, as I said before we read this, that there might be moments, situations, things where you've been done wrong, that yes, you're believing for grace to maintain that forgiveness. Some of you might, there might be situations where as we go into the holidays, you know that person's going to be at Christmas this year, and you're just already praying up that forgiveness <laughs> is going to be in your life. Or there might be somebody, you know, you saw a, a social media is big, a Facebook post of somebody, and it just brought up feelings or it brought up thoughts. And so as we read this, and we're going to have a moment of just healing and giving it to God, that you would allow the grace of Jesus to strengthen you to maintain it, or if there's been areas in your life where you haven't asked for forgiveness, that you would give that and allow the healing power of God to touch you. Look what it says. I'm going to read through it quickly and then pull some truth out for you. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors who brought in the money for him, or in, who owed him millions of dollars. So in the process, one of the debtors owed something as, as crazy as a million dollars in our time and in our day. The man couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, as all of us would if we owed that amount of money to somebody. Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity or New King James says compassion for him and he released him and forgave his debt. So wow, the debt was forgiven. But look what it says. It says, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat, choked him and demanded instant payment. So this man who just received millions of dollars of, de of debt that he had, it was canceled, it was clean. Then we, we see what he goes and does. He goes to someone who just owed him a petty, is, is it, the commentary says, nothing more than a three months uh, earnings or wages, and goes and grabs this, 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 this servant and says, hey, you owe me thousands, of, I want my money. But look what it says. 
The same thing happened. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. 31, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. So what we see here, the man, what he, the man, the first servant that the master dealt with canceled that entire debt. Something within him could not receive that mercy. It was too humbling, what commentary will say. And so because he couldn't receive the mercy of the master, who's God, he went and basically demanded and choked out the person who owed him money because by golly, he was going to pay it back. And so we see because he could not receive the mercy and the compassion of God, the reaction that he had and the ripple effect that it had. And what it says that when we don't forgive or we don't receive the mercy of God, because some of us in here, we have a hard time receiving forgiveness. Maybe there's something that we've been on the end of doing the abuse, or we've been on the end of being the offender. And we say, God can never forgive me. Yes, he can. And you might feel like the man that God can never forgive me. I can't receive that mercy. But what is the parable that Jesus teaches us as? He says, if you don't, then you'll be given over to the torturer, to the jailer. So if you can't receive that forgiveness, even if you've caused the offense, then you're going to be tormented and tortured. And it even goes on to say in 35 that, that uh, if you refuse to forgive, or no, I read this in a commentary, that your eternal salvation is at stake, obviously, if you can't receive the forgiveness of the Father. And so I pray you see the seriousness of what Jesus is trying to show all of us. That out of love, he's given us mercy and he's given us compassion. And he can heal and change. And it all starts with forgiveness. And then he'll, he'll, he's so good because then he'll make a way to reconcile with the person that we've done as the offender. We've caused that abuse too. And so quickly, I want to give this to you and I want to pray. Here's another good point. It says, this is how unforgiveness works. We have a hard time receiving God's free gift of mercy, so we begrudge giving away mercy to others. We hold on to being justified in our anger, being right, and keeping others in the wrong. We've all been there at some point in our life, but we have to allow God to deal with that. So quickly, three points. These are three things of how you can have the forgiveness flow of the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. The guilt, the shame is gone. Now receive your healing. Here's what it all starts with. Number one, you have to decide. Somebody say decide. You have to choose to obey God and steadfastly resist the devil in his attempts to poison you with bitter thoughts. We prayed in the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive me as I forgive those who trespassed. Number two is depend. Everybody say depend. I love this. You cannot forgive without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. 
You know what's neat? In John 20, 22 through 23, it says that the Holy Spirit breathed on the apostles. And guess what he asked them to do next? Now go and release forgiveness. It takes the breath of the Holy Spirit to depend and to maintain the forgiveness in your life. And lastly, everybody say, obey. Just as we saw in the parable, that if we choose to obey God, we're not going to be handed over to a tormenting spirit. It even goes further, and this just sounds crazy, but it's Jesus. He says that we should bless our enemies. So uh, I love this too. It says in Proverbs 17, 9, that it says, when you seek to cover an offense, you should seek love. And so as you're on your path to forgiveness, you'll start to see your confession change where you don't say, oh, I I pray that the same thing happens to them that happened to me, or I pray that, like we do. But we start to say, I release forgiveness into their life. I pray that you bless them. I even pray that the deception that they're under would become uncovered so that they can be healed and that they can be set free. Pray for your abuser. Pray for your offender. It doesn't mean you go and you buddy up with them. But you pray for them and you say, Father, reveal the deception that happened in their life for, the, for their soul and for their salvation. And so right now, I want us to bow our heads. I want us to pray. And I pray that unforgiveness are things that are keeping you bound and keeping grace flowing freely through your life. I know that the Holy Spirit has revealed here this morning. I want you to take that, and in your mind, even if you have to get home, take a check out and say, the debt is canceled. I'm not going to be the judge anymore. I'm not going to be the one saying, they deserve what's coming from me. But just ask the Holy Spirit right now as you decide. I'm going to decide to forgive them. Just whisper it to him. I forgive such and such. Or maybe you're the one who's caused an offense or caused an abuse. Say, Father, forgive me for what I've done to that person, or forgive me that in my past, I'm having a hard time moving past it. Give me the grace to move past it. Decide to do it right now. Secondly, we're going to depend. Holy Spirit, we depend on you. I ask that the breath of the Holy Spirit would touch us right now. That is, those is maybe... Something happened this week, and this is the first time we're bringing it to you in forgiveness. That the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that the open heaven that the Holy Spirit operates in would touch and breathe upon our lives and give us the strength to do so. And lastly, Father, let us obey. Let us, as we meditate on your word, as we allow the Holy Spirit to touch and heal our lives, let us walk in obedience where that cause, that moment, that abuse that happened is not going to have control over us and we're not going to have offense and bitterness and unforgiveness in our life. God, this isn't just a one-time thing. This is a journey we walk out with you. So God, I thank you for grace for the journey. And God, you know us. You are with us. So right now as we lift our hands, say, Father, Release your grace in my life. Heal the wounds. Heal the unforgiveness. Give me grace for my race. 
I trust you. I thank you that you know me. I thank you that you're with me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Like I said from the beginning.